always hate to break up such good fellowship, but it's time to begin our Sunday morning Bible study, and we're so glad to have uh, David and Kelly with us this morning, uh, David and Kelly Barker from the Decatur, Alabama area. David and Kelly were here oh, three or four weeks ago, and I'm glad they're back today. Uh, no, I don't have any really announcements about uh, any updates. We'll have those at the worship service period. And we'll just now begin our uh, Bible study. David? Oh, good morning. Good morning. Good Lord's Day to you. It is a distinct uh, joy for us to be here with you. Thank you so much uh, for having us here today. I'm thankful to be in this Bible class hour together, and um, we're going to be looking at one of the um, huge events, one of the huge events in the life of Jesus. Okay. But um, I hope all is going well uh, for you. Uh, we left um, yesterday from the North Alabama area. We lost two hours. Yes. <laughs> so. We're going to get half of it back, maybe, but anyway, that's okay. <clears throat> we look forward to having a good day uh, together. I know um, many preparations have been made in regard to lunch and so forth, and we're very thankful uh, for that. <clears throat> Let's be turning our Bibles to two or three places. Let's start in Matthew uh, 3, and then I want us to read from Mark uh, chapter 1, and then also read a couple verses from Luke, uh, chapter uh, 3. Think for a moment about some, some huge events in your life, events that have brought you where you're at right now. It could be, it could be uh, the birth of children, grandchildren, could be you think back about your marriage, perhaps uh, you think about um, a change of jobs, locations. Uh, we have events in our lives that that really do uh, shape us as years go by. Jesus, uh, as we look into his life, uh, there was there are several events that, that just stand out uh, to us. His uh, temptation uh, from Satan in the wilderness, certainly also uh, his birth uh, into this world, uh, his, um, his being on the mount, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, is huge. Of course, he is making his way to Jerusalem uh, on that Passover uh, time and uh, offering himself for the sins of of the world and his resurrection day, and then the day upon which um, he ascended up on high. All these stand out to us as great events, but the event we'll look at for a few minutes together uh, this morning is the baptism of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus. And so let's read a little bit together uh, to get ourselves started. Matthew 3, beginning in verse 13, and then we'll... We'll read about this event from two or three different places. Matthew three thirteen. 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented and when Jesus was baptized immediately he went up from the water and behold the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, jump over to Mark chapter 1. Same event, but just getting the different perspectives. Uh, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. Uh, with you I am well pleased. And then quickly over to Luke chapter 3, just a couple of verses, 21 and 22. Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you uh, I am well pleased. Right. So I'd like for us to consider just a few introductory ideas, uh, and then I want us to get to the ultimate question of why was Jesus uh, baptized? Okay. Well, let's think about just a couple of thoughts before we get to that. <clears throat> First, notice that this, this is Jesus and John together, publicly, and you can look into this, but I believe this is the only time that, that John the Baptist and Jesus are together uh, publicly. I find that just a little bit uh, interesting, but they are together here uh, publicly. Let's, let's keep that uh, in mind for a second. I want us to, um, as we think about that, remember that that Jesus and John are together in prophecy. Okay, so let's get our Bibles and, and run back to the book of Isaiah right quick and notice that Jesus and John are together in prophecy. Looking down to Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40. In verse number 3, this is the prophecy of John. Isaiah 40, verse 3, saying... A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then just flip a page to Isaiah 42, and notice the prophecy of Jesus here, verses 1 and 2, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. And he will bring forth justice 
to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up uh, his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. That's a prophecy of Jesus, and these are fulfilled. Uh, For example, John, voice crying in the wilderness, you see that in Matthew 3, and then this from Isaiah 42 is fulfilled in Matthew uh, 12. But also notice uh, Jesus and John in prophecy in the book of Malachi right quick, uh, as we're flipping here and there, uh, Malachi chapter 3. And notice in verse 1, Malachi chapter 3, prophecy of John and Jesus uh, together. Behold, notice this, Malachi 3, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. That's John. And the Lord, whom ye seek, will suddenly come to the temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so John is the messenger here, and Jesus is the messenger of the covenant. So John, the messenger, is preparing a way for Jesus, the messenger of the covenant. So we see, as we just consider the baptism of Jesus, we see John and Jesus together publicly. And it just kind of reminded me that they're together also um, in prophecy. Now, we also know about Jesus and John, that they're together in family. They're related to each other. One reference to this is Luke chapter 1 and 39 Remember, after Mary had received her message from Gabriel about how that she would be overshadowed with the Holy Spirit and she would conceive uh, eventually Jesus, what's the first thing she does? Luke one thirty nine. She runs off to to go see her relative, her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is already six months along uh, with John, and so they're together uh, in family. I find that um, intriguing, especially when you stop and consider the powerful impact that families can make for the Lord. You see this in, in Scripture. You see Jesus and John here of the same family, and look what, uh, look how God used them uh, for His great purposes. Okay. But it's not just them. You think about when Jesus called His disciples, His His apostles that. Uh, two brothers, Andrew and Peter, and then two other brothers, James and John. And you begin to think about it. You know, God, if you just look through Scripture, God used families to, to powerfully impact uh, for his, his kingdom. You think about, um, over in the book of Acts, you think about Aquila and Priscilla, who were such great helpers uh, to the Apostle Paul. Uh, you think about... Um, the evangelist Philip, I was just reading about Philip the other day, Acts 21, verses 8 and 9, and he had, um, of course he had a wife, but he had four daughters who prophesied, four daughters who taught the gospel, who, who were not yet married, but they were teaching uh, the gospel. You think about um, a man by the name of Stephanus over in 1 Corinthians sixteen fifteen, and it says that his, he and his household were, were addicted to, they were addicted, the King James Version says, they were addicted to the ministry 
uh, of the saints. You think about when Paul wrote his letter to Philemon, that Philemon, the church, was meeting in his house. And so you just begin to read and you think, these families had such great impact for God. And that's, that's something that can still happen even uh, today if we will uh, seek, our, seek our way to God and, and, and put our heart uh, in his hands. Now let me ask you this before we move on. Do you think that Jesus and John spent time together as they grew up? What do you think? You think quite possible, isn't it? Did they live in the same area? Was John and his family located near Nazareth? Close enough to for Mary to run off and and visit. Yeah. I don't know that it ever says either. But. I think that John is being off in the woods all the time somewhere. <laughs> so, you think about some of the conversations maybe that that um, Mary and Elizabeth would have had as the boys were growing up. How your how's your little one doing? He seems to be spending more and more time out in the wilderness. And uh do you think these moms were caught up in the bumper sticker mentality of, you know, my son is this or my son is is that? But, you know, what would Mary be able to say with her bumper sticker? My son is perfect, you know, what about yours? So, but, and in her case, it'd be true. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. So it's very, and all this is left to our wondering and our, and our thoughts. It is a mystery, and God is, is incredible at that, isn't he? he? He draws us into Scripture because it makes us wonder. But all those years of silence, surely if, if Mary went and visited Elizabeth while both of them were expecting, you would, you would surely expect that they would visit often when the boys were growing up. So we see here uh, John and Jesus uh, together. But um, let's think about this also. Notice that this is John declaring how that Jesus is sinless. The sinlessness of Jesus. Looking right there in Matthew 3, when, when, when Jesus comes to John to be baptized, what does John say? What does John say? Yeah, you're coming to me. I have need to be baptized by you. John's being very emphatic here. He's saying, I'm the sinner here. I'm the sinner. You don't have this need, uh, Jesus. I'm the sinner here. And so it's just um, quite interesting. But really what John's declaring is that Jesus is sinless and will be sinless. Can you think of other verses that bring out the sinlessness of Christ? Can you think of what what pops into your mind when you think about how sinless Jesus is? Yeah, there you go. And that's what that's what John will eventually uh, say about Jesus. What's what he says about Jesus? Behold the lamb of God John 1:29. 
takes away the sins of the world. We know that in God's plan, his wisdom, that the lamb who would be the offering for sins of the world would have to be without spot and without blemish, 1 Peter 1, 19. And while we're thinking about 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, 22, uh, Peter says that Jesus left us an example and uh, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. You remember that. You remember that um, Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but one who was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So without doubt, John is, um, is declaring uh, how Jesus is indeed that lamb without spot and without blemish. And put yourself in John's situation and notice how he really doesn't want to do this. Jesus is coming to be baptized for him. John is, John is very busy baptizing people coming for their sins. They're having their sins um, forgiven as they're baptized. They're confessing their sins. Now here comes Jesus. John doesn't really want uh, to do this. But now compare this, um, especially if you're right there in Matthew 3. Compare how that there was another group of people who come to John to be baptized, and John refused them too, but for a different reason. If you look right there in Matthew 3, verse 7, you notice that some of the Pharisees and Sadducees were coming to John to be baptized, and what did he say to them? He said, well, um, bring forth, therefore, fruits, meet for repentance. In other words, clearly implying that they were coming, but they weren't repenting. He says, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham for our, as our father. God is able these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Okay. So John could see that these Pharisees and Sadducees weren't coming to be baptized for forgiveness. They weren't coming, they weren't coming in humility. They were just coming because John was growing popular among people and they needed to have John, they need to be associated with John. Okay. Have you ever refused to baptize someone? If you work very much in, in, in the gospel, you will, you'll have to do that. I mean, you'll, there, there, will be, there will be occasions when you have to do that. When I, when I first moved where we're living right now, it's over 20 years ago, I was, I was so green and Dumb. But it was a Wednesday night, though, and and so a lady came uh, forward, and she requested to be baptized. I didn't know her, didn't know her situation. I saw, so I just asked her. I said, "Well, now, um, have you ever been baptized before?" And she said, "Yes, uh, in another type of church." And I said, "Well, what brings you here tonight?" She said, "Well, my husband." And his family attend here. And um, I heard that to be a member here, you've, you've got to be baptized. So I want you to baptize me tonight so that I can officially be a member here. And um, it was very evident that she had not gone through proper study of the Bible. And so uh, I, I just 
told her, I said, we will need to study the Bible this evening, tomorrow. And, um, and she agreed to do that. Um, so I just stood up and told the congregation and um, that, this, that even though she had come to request baptism, that we were going to be doing a further study. Um, but her family became very irritated at me uh, for, for this because they, many of them came up to me and said, I've never seen a preacher refuse to baptize someone. But John's refusing the Sadducees and Pharisees here, but for a totally different reason. You know, he's, he's hesitant to baptize the Pharisees and Sadducees because they're not coming in humility. But here with Jesus, he's hesitating because he knows that Jesus is sinless. And so we see here John and Jesus together in public. And we see here that John is, is very much aware of Jesus uh, being sinless. But notice that this is a little bit of a mystery. This, is, this whole occasion it has some unusual aspects. Why, why is Jesus sinless as he is, coming to John. John is clearly, Mark 1, 4, and 5, John is clearly baptizing for the remission of sins. People are coming, and as they're coming, they're confessing their sins, being baptized. Why is Jesus coming? Why is he coming? And why would God choose this occasion? Why would God choose this location for Jesus to start his ministry? This is the beginning of his public ministry. He is, ever since he was 12 years old, his years have gone by, and, and it's just been some silent years. Why start here? Does it, from the, from the worldly standpoint, does this seem unusual to start out here in the wilderness, to start out here at the Jordan River? of all places, and for your Messiah to start out at a place where people are confessing their sins, is God taking a risk here that people will misunderstand what's going on? Does, does this, would this, do you think this would seem mysterious or at least unusual for Jesus to, to, be, um, to be starting out here? Why is he starting out? Yeah, from the worldly standpoint, Brother Luke was saying, you know, Satan was tempting him in the next chapter of Matthew 4. Uh, you know, take yourself up here on this temple, jump off here. You know, begin with a dramatic scene. That's, what, that's, how, that's how, from the world standpoint, uh, if you're going to make a great beginning, especially if you're going to change the world, then you would need to start at the temple or start in, in Jerusalem or or take your way over to, to Rome, you know, something dramatic, something to grab the attention of the world. But here Jesus is, um, he's going out here to his own relative, John, starting here. And that brings us to our question this morning, why was Jesus uh, baptized? And we can point out three reasons uh, why Jesus was baptized. Let's start in John 1, uh, 29. 
And notice, first of all, he was baptized to be identified as the Son of God. He was baptized to be identified as the Son of God. And we'll just look here in John 1. We've already referenced the fact that in John 1, 29, John looks to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This, of course, connects Jesus to the Old Testament. The, the Lamb of the Passover was a prophecy of Jesus becoming the Lamb for the sins of the world. Uh, this, of course, shows that Jesus was to offer himself as sins of the world. And this this offering, this gift would be available to everybody. Sins of the world. Okay. But notice what John says in John 1, verse 30. This is whom I have said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Notice what John says about Jesus. He was before me. Okay. In other words, he's referring to the abiding existence of Jesus. Jesus is, Jesus is not just a man. Jesus has always existed. You know, like John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John 1 14, the Word became flesh. John understood that Jesus was unusual and he was um, glorious because he's always existed. You, know, you recall that Jesus himself said, in John eight fifty eight, before Abraham was, I am. I am. That's what John's saying here. He was before me. Even though John came into this world from his mother's belly before Jesus did, yet Jesus is before him. Okay. So let's, let's keep reading here. John 1, uh, 31. John says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. In other words, John is saying, um, until this event, until this event here of baptizing Jesus, I didn't clearly know him. Uh, John knew a lot of uh, exceptional things about Jesus. He knew he was sinless. He knew he was the Lamb of God. But this made it completely clear for him. He knew it now after this baptism event. John's going to know this clearly now in an absolute way. And so notice the rest of the reading here from verse 32 onward. And John bore witness, John 1.32, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So definitely one of the reasons that Jesus was baptized was to be identified as the Son of God. There's really two manifestations here. There's a, there's a visible and an audible the visible, of course, is like a dove. Like a dove. And not, that, not that the Holy Spirit is a dove, but somehow in bodily form like a dove, he descended upon Jesus. When you think of a dove, what do you think of? You think of peace? Beauty? Beauty. Hmm? Purity. Okay, purity. 
You think of something or some someone very delicate. You think of a soft landing. Okay. Okay. This speaks toward Jesus, doesn't it? Okay. Uh, he, he, he said to Pilate in, in John 18, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? This was not the way of Jesus. Jesus didn't come as a violent person. He didn't come as a takeover person. He was not that type of conqueror. He was not this type of warrior. Okay. Even right here in, in the prophecy from Isaiah 42 okay, over to Matthew 12, okay, remember in that prophecy it says that Jesus, uh, he will not quench a fire, he will not put out a fire, and he would not... Um, what do you say about a bruised reed? He would not break a bruised reed. Or Jesus is coming with, with gentleness. Okay. Jesus would come and help people, but he would help them to come to know God. He would help them to come to... He had a spiritual thrust about his mission. You see. And so it would be a gentle task that he would be about. And we follow him in that way, don't we? We follow him in that way. In 2 Corinthians uh, 10... We read from the Apostle Paul that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But our weapon is the Word of God. Ephesians 6, 17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we're, we're seeking to change the hearts and minds of people uh, through the gospel of Jesus. Okay. And so we see a visible dec- dec- declaration of the Son of God, but also audible because the Father breaks through uh, the clouds, the, the heavenly Father breaks through the clouds and he speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the one in whom my soul delights. Again, going back to Isaiah 42. This is one, this is the Son of my love. Jesus and the Father, the Holy Spirit are all one. All one. They love. There's love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There, There's a oneness there. And it, it's good for us to study that so that we can be like them in love and in oneness. And so one reason Jesus definitely was baptized was because um, he needed to be identified clearly as the Son of God. But second reason is to show a perfect example of obedience. And didn't Jesus do this? He showed the perfect example of obedience. And we know this because right there in Matthew 3, Jesus looked to John and said, allow this to be done, John, because this fulfills all righteousness. See that in Matthew 3? Allow this to be done for this, for this moment. This fulfills all righteousness. Now, a verse that I have written in the margin of my Bible is Psalm 119. How many verses are there in Psalm 119? A lot. That's right. And 172 has this statement. 172 has this statement. All of God's commands are righteousness. All of God's commands are righteous. So when Jesus says this fulfills righteousness, we know at least in part... He's referring to the fact that he would be he would be in complete submission 
uh, to the Father's will. Jesus' entire life is a commentary on what it means uh, to obey. There's an interesting passage in Hebrews 10, 5 through 7, which um, is a quotation from Psalm number 40, 6 through 8. So if you want to make reference to that, this is about the obedience of Jesus from Hebrews 10, 5 through 7. But then the reference there is, it's a quotation from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. And it has Jesus saying this, that he has come to do the Father's will and to delight to do the Father's will. Especially Psalm 40 has that idea of delighting to do God's will. Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. This is a tremendous challenge for us. There's there's a difference in doing the will of God and just doing it because you have to or because you think you need to versus doing the will of God because you delight in it. Jesus completely delighted in doing the Father's will. That's, a, that's an amazing thought. Because you know, in Philippians 2, we read that Jesus became flesh and was found in the likeness of man. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And, he, and it's saying here that Jesus delighted to do the Father's will. Okay. That's a, it's a challenge to me because... because you know, you you gotta do you, do you catch yourself just simply doing the will of God because I know that's my duty to do, or do we are we able to step forward and be more like Jesus and say this is my delight to do it? We're commanded in Second Corinthians nine to to give on the first day of the week, but how? Yeah, not. Grudgingly, not of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's right. So this is how Jesus came. He he came in obedience, certainly, total submission to the Father's will. We know he said in prayer, not my will, Father, but yours uh, be done. But he did this with delight, with, with joy he did this. In fact, it says here in Psalm 40, the law of God is in my heart. There's a difference in the law of God being in our head and being in our heart. We must, like Jesus, seek to do it from the heart. From the heart. Not just, it's not just academics. It's, it's, it's life. It's, it should be heart-wrenching. It should be, it should be a check of our heart when we think about obeying God. And so definitely a second reason Jesus was baptized was to show that uh, this is the perfect example of obedience. And we have his example uh, to guide us in life. Now in Romans uh, chapter 5, verses uh, 18 and 19, there's another aspect of this obedience that I think we just need to mention. And that is, you recall that that. Uh, Jesus is is referred to often uh, as kind of the second Adam, right? The first Adam, through one man, sin came into the world. Okay. 
through one man's disobedience, sin went everywhere. Sin came in the world. But then it says, in Romans 5, 18 and 19, through one man's obedience, then righteousness came into the world. Through one man's disobedience, Adam. Through one man's obedience, Jesus. You see how dependent we are on the fact that Jesus kept the law perfectly. He fulfilled all righteousness. Uh, see, um, well, for example, years ago, I mean, years ago, a, a gospel preacher um, had to go into the northeast part of our country and, and conduct a meeting, but he was he was getting sick when he left home. He was from uh, the Virginia area, but he went into Pennsylvania, and there were some who cautioned him he shouldn't go, but he went ahead and went, and on Sunday night, uh, after he had preached, uh, he became really sick, and he was he did not make it back to his his family, but he sent a message to his family, and um, they were able to read these words. He's, and his, his words were, "I am thankful for my Savior's perfect obedience." When you think about when it, when it comes down to Judgment Day, when it, when it comes down to death, when it comes down to our soul, first and foremost, we are thankful that our Savior obeyed perfectly so that He could become that Lamb without spot and without blemish. Because without that, and of course, of course, we would be hopeless. We would be full. We'd have no hope. So, we see here Jesus was baptized to be identified clearly as the Son of God, and secondly, to show the perfect example of obedience. And then thirdly, uh, he was baptized to show a preview of things to come. A preview of things to come. This is huge. Let me ask you this. Did, uh, did God know that Jesus would need to die before he created the world? Was Jesus aware of this? How early was in life was Jesus aware that he would need to go to the cross? How, how early in life was Jesus aware that his, his relationship with the Father was very unique? When was Jesus? When he was 12. Because of what he said to, to Mary and Joseph after they had been searching for him those those three days, he said, did you not know what? I've got to be about my father's business. At age 12, he had that awareness. So surely, by age 30 or so, when he comes to be baptized with John, was he aware that he had an appointment with the cross? Sure, you know he was. Okay. This baptism of Jesus, was it a burial? The, did they sprinkle Jesus, poor Jesus, or when John baptized him, did he, did he put him under the water? Okay. So I, I, I believe, and, and of course other great Bible teachers have pointed this. 
Absolutely. 